those thoughts creep up into my mind. Is it like, okay, dude, is it more training? Which is all I know. Is it more vacation time? But at the end of the day, I prepare my mind. Hello, humans. Welcome to the M Word, the Manx Sports Podcast, brought to you by Martin. That's me. I'm Matt. That's him. Hello, Matthew. How are you today? Pretty tired, actually, to be honest. Why now? Why is that? Um, Late nights, too many beers, Christmas parties. I wish. Mm-hmm. Lots lot of swifting, dog walking. Oh, um, right. Getting into the scene with Santa coming out with the uh, on the back of the tractor coming around. Uh, around the Colby. The yeah. boys were loving that. <laughs> uh, so our guest today we'll uh, introduce in a few moments' time. It follows on nicely from our last episode uh, with with Richard. Uh, but first of all, we just want to say a quick thank you again, as we do each week, to Billboards.im, their sponsor of, of our show. They do exactly what it says on the tin, which is billboard advertising, but digitally. You'll have seen them down the uh, down the sea terminal in town as well. Uh, so if you need to get your brand out there, make yourself known to people, much like we're trying to do at the moment, uh, they're the guys to go and see. So that's billboards.im, the future of advertising. Uh, we're also looking, obviously, if there's additional sponsors to help us invest further, promote to help us promote the podcast mm. to a wider audience. We'd uh, obviously welcome yep. welcome all those as well. So, Matthew, as we do each week, there was some audio in the part of the introduction there. Did you recognise the voice? Yeah, I was happy to say I do know that one. It's uh, LeBron James. Okay, yeah, well done. So LeBron's a basketball player, for those that don't know, top of his game, probably one of the, not a massive basketball fan, but probably one of the best in the world, uh, around the Michael Jordan kind of kind of category. And uh, LeBron's well known for uh, his, his dedication to his sport, obviously, but also in that environment, working in, on, on his mind and his mindset and his mindfulness which is obviously one of our key words within what we're trying to do uh, and, and promote within our podcast and today we're joined by uh, Mike Cooley so welcome firstly Mike hello welcome. yeah thanks for inviting me along no pleasure pleasure so Mike works in that mindful space uh, we think uh, I think by his own admission isn't a sportsman no. per se no. but certainly from my own experience I've been on one of Mike's courses uh, they're certainly beneficial and I think when, when you relate what he practices into the sports environment, well, there are many top athletes already using uh, the techniques to, to help, and we'll dig into a bit more of that in due course uh, with Mike. So I think crack on straight into it, that's all right. Uh, so the first question I ask all guests, Mike, is, are you a come over, are you Manx, are you Manx Manx, or are you Manx as the hills? Um, I I think I'm as Manx as the hills. Oh, I mean, right, I'm okay. a Cooley, so. All oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you got three legs. It's a good start. Yeah, yeah. you got three legs. <laughs> and you know, a Manx accent. Uh, so uh, maybe just to get a bit of background on yourself for our audience, where were you brought up on the Isle of Man? Um, I was brought up uh, in Douglas. Um, right. We were just talking about this before. Um, Glen Park. So I went to Williston School. Okay. Um, so. <clears throat> Yeah, lived lived there all my life. Um, uh, went to university when I was a bit older. Right. I, I went when I was twenty five, so I was a, a mature student. Right. Um, Where was that? I went to uh, Lampeter in Wales. Okay. And then I went to um, I was living in Bristol, and then I did a master's degree in Cornwall. So I lived down in Falmouth. And um, um, what, what were you studying? Sorry. Well, I was. I did my first degree was religious studies, <clears throat> which uh, you know I've. Uh, I, I I was and still am kind of fascinated by, um, and then my masters was in something called Western esotericism. Oh, um, I know that well. <laughs> yeah, people sometimes say Western terrorism. <laughs> no, 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 esotericism. So, um, in a nutshell, it was the esoteric traditions 
of the Western world. So you think of the West and you think Christianity. That's what okay. we had. Yeah. Well, there was lots and lots bubbling away under the surface, like alchemy and magic and all this other kind of stuff. Right. That, so it was a kind of study of that, um, which was, yeah, yeah interesting. Um, but during the whole time I was studying, I spent a lot of my 20s traveling. So I, I, I traveled uh, to India quite a lot and Nepal and Pakistan and Burma and Thailand and um, other countries all with this kind of aim and goal of meeting people and um, teachers and gurus sometimes who could basically enlighten me. Right, okay. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time doing that and practicing and exploring different practices and it all linked into my fascination with meditation and mindfulness and things like that. So the, uh, I assume, and I know you've mentioned to me, it was your, your father was, that's the space your father worked in. So I suppose, I suppose that's where the influence came from, I guess. Yeah, and it's, I've just basically, I'm my dad Mark too. Right. Okay. To, and to the extent where he's also called Mike Cooley. Oh, right. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, so I grew up um, around Buddhism because he was a Buddhist monk in the Theravada tradition, which is Burmese Buddhism. So he was a, a lay monk, which means you're a, you're a Buddhist, um, but you don't live in a monastery and you don't shave your head. Um, but he still would go to, um, well, he wouldn't go to Burma, but he went to Birmingham, which is where his teacher was. <laughs> Not too far, um, but it's almost a different language. Yeah. Um, so he would spend time there. And then he did um, ordain as a monk for a period as well, where he shaved his head and he lived in, a, in, the, in the monastery in Birmingham with his Burmese teacher. Um, and he set up the first Buddhist group on the Isle of Man in the 80s. And I, I would hang out there as a child, mm. uh, not really knowing what everyone was doing, mm -hmm. sitting cross-legged on the floor. Um, in front of these, you know, kind of big Buddha statues, and I used to copy them. I used to, you know, bow to the Buddha. Didn't really know what it was about, mm. but um, but that was like an image that kind of got ingrained in my mm. psyche, I suppose. Um, I remember coming downstairs every morning. My dad would be meditating, and before we got up, uh, he worked at the um, the factory there, the uh, Martin Baker. Okay, yeah. So he, so he, you know, he made uh, aircraft seats for a living, but he'd be up at five o'clock in the morning mm. for, to meditate for two hours, chanting in Pali, oh, okay. um, hardcore, I mean, yeah. proper hardcore stuff. So that's what I remember coming downstairs to was him meditating and I guess soaking up some of that kind of, yeah. um, the importance of that or the value or... I was going to say, did he um, ask you to join in or was it was anything that, that of you at that age? Or was it any other, right? Was that okay? <laughs> no, no. Weird. No, it wasn't. I mean, um, so he was a Buddhist. Uh, we were brought up uh, Buddhist, but I, I do vividly remember having arguments with my gran, uh, basically on Buddhism versus Christianity, even as a young child. Um, so I, I was very, very influenced by mm. Buddhism. And later in my life, you know, um, my, my dad, as, as a teacher, could, uh, you know, he could, um, I was going to say he could turn you into a Buddhist, but, you know, he could kind of officially... Uh, make you a Buddhist and you could have a Buddhist name and all that kind of stuff and I, that was attractive to me but um, I've never really been anything no. you know I'm not, I'm not religious I don't define myself as anything even human is, an, is a label <laughs> um, I'm more interested in what's under the label so I, I never really did end up being a Buddhist but it certainly had a huge influence on me and the, the mindfulness that I teach yeah, it comes largely from my dad and from the mindfulness traditions and especially Zen, Zen Buddhism. I was very influenced and brought up around Zen. My dad was fascinated by 
Japanese Buddhism, mm. samurai stories, all this kind of stuff. So, mm. yeah. I, I, bet in, or, I, I just want to actually read something that I, I, or read out something I read uh, today because I'm conscious that uh, certain people, I believe, or a lot of people have an element of uh, not judge, but hear Zen or meditation and the immediate like whatever type yeah. mentality. And it's something I read that said, mindful is a practice of carefully following attention and focus and not form and does not form a religion. Mm. So uh, I think uh, certainly in the, when I've been on the course, and you chat to friends about it and they kind of, they don't mock you, but they're like, oh yeah, is this a religion you're joining? And I think part of obviously the, the podcast is to talk about the benefits of the practices you do. But would you generally agree with that statement? Um, I mean, I would. I mean, obviously, uh, Buddhism is a religion. I mean, you can debate that. Um, well, I think it was mindfulness was the quote here. Mindfulness is a practice of carefully f- focused attention not that do- doesn't form part of a religion. Yeah, I mean, and it's nested in Buddhism. I mean, yeah, it's, the, it's, yeah, the, yeah. it's the practices within what we call Buddhism. Yeah. Um, but I would agree. I mean, you, it's not about belief. In fact, yeah, it's yeah. about putting your beliefs to one side or at least questioning all the things that you've believed because yeah. they, they, they in some way limit you. Yeah. You know, when we get conditioned, we get brought up to believe X, Y, and Z. I can or I can't. I should or I shouldn't. And mindfulness is the invitation to kind of see what happens if you let all of that noise and all that conditioning just fall away for a moment. Mm. Like what's left, mm. you know, and what's left is you, but a completely different you, um, which can be quite freeing, mm. you know. And your courses you run locally, that's, that's the focus initially. That's it. And, it, and it, it is a bit different to kind of other kinds of mindfulness, I suppose, just because I bring in all the other influences that I've had in my own practice from different traditions and different teachers. So um, so the way I talk about my courses are that it's, it's a kind of mindfulness training course. So it is a kind of brain training or mind training. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, you know, since we've been cavemen and cavewomen, uh, we've been able to train and develop certain mental skills that basically enhance your life, you know, perspectives, attitudes, ways of seeing and being in the world that are basically revolutionary. Um, every culture has them, you know, you could choose any culture in the world and they'd have their version of mindfulness. Um, like I was talking once and a Nigerian lady came up to me afterwards and said, oh yeah, in our culture, we call it whatever it was you know the tribes people you know they have their name um apart from our culture we we've essentially lost that connection with the present moment and actually one way we find the present moment is through sport because when you're completely focused which you should be if you're engaged and there's the present moment there's the flow state there's the absence of past and future you're just in the moment now that's mindfulness so so you mentioned there about that uh mindfulness training and flow state so again bits getting a tiny bit of education from you to this point uh, is the flow state concentration and emotion regulation so they're they're the key i suppose aspects that form part of that mindfulness so yeah so being mindful just means so if we contrast it with mindlessness which means when basically we live most of our lives in a state of distraction so we, we live in our heads so, yeah, we live in a state of uh, overthinking, you know, we're constantly thinking about everything. In fact, that's a, you know, a huge problem in our culture is we don't know how to stop thinking and um, keeps us awake, you know, causes anxiety. We're always thinking about something. We've literally forgotten how to switch off, um, which is very unhealthy because we're const- constantly being triggered by our own thoughts. 
Um, so yeah, we live in this constant state of, uh, of distraction. Um, uh, and so yeah, being pulled into thoughts, we're never really present, we're never really here, we're never really now, we're always somewhere else. Uh, and I just want to bring back to your earlier point there, where you mentioned about different um, cultures having a word for mindfulness and that we don't, in a sense, or why why is that why where's that kind of been lost in a, in a sense with our with our culture yeah that's a that's a great question and i think it has been lost i mean we are rediscovering it now but only because we're at crisis point you know the fact that yoga meditation mindfulness etc is so popular at the moment and they teach it in schools for instance mm-hmm. is because we've realized how bad things are so things are swinging back towards what we've lost um when you say we you mean the western world i mean the exactly the western world yeah um so yeah i mean being on the isle of man we had uh, a celtic culture you know so um probably not too far from here there'll be uh some kind of uh keel you know a keel like a chapel they kind of ruined keel mm-hmm. um where you would have a hermit so you'd have you know a man or a woman who'd go and they'd sit in the glen and they'd sit in the nice little um, hermitage the stone church chapel and they'd essentially meditate you know so in a christian context they'd, they'd pray but that could be silent prayer so that's just basically dropping into stillness and being immersed or absorbed into their environment and just being with it fully alive in that moment that's that's mindfulness and all people have done that because in a way that's the natural state you know that's what the cavemen and women did because they didn't have much to think about so they could they could just drop into what was happening and of course they needed to do that to stay alive you need to be alert you need to be present if our ancestors weren't extremely good at being present there'd be three empty chairs you know, there'll be the you know there'll still be like wild animals roaming because we would have been eaten. So we've spent you know hundreds of thousands of years knowing how to get present and still and alert, and we've just gradually lost it. It's kind of been phased out, and and especially in our modern culture, the emphasis is on busyness. So even our technology keeps you busy and it keeps you hooked into it. And for instance, we have two rush hours every day. So two rush hours, just the name of that rush, two hours where you're desperate to get home or desperate to get work mm. in a rush. Mm. And you know how that feels. It's, mm. it's, it's the most anxious time of the day is getting to work or getting home mm. every single day for your whole life if you work a, a normal job. Mm. Um, there's no calm hour, there's no still hour. But that's what we need to build in or create ourselves. Otherwise, there's just no balance and you get sucked into this vortex of constant busyness and then suddenly, that's it, you're dead. You know, you spend your whole life being busy and then it's like, well, where was life? Mm. Well, it was here, but in a way where we were running around and it was just a blur. So, so I, wanna, I do want to cycle back to or understanding a little bit more you learning through those practices, but just to, just to apply that general rushed mind mentality to, to sport now and uh, how you or how top performance athletes are using it are they using the techniques then to get into the to get rid of that noise around them in essence yeah because you don't want that noise right. you know when you're so they might be doubts they might be doubts eternal chatter right. yeah which we all have I mean that is the human mind so mindfulness is a way of um, learning how to <clears throat> 
manage the human mind, which is one thing. Um, and then I was on a workshop with someone and they said, so this is just mind management then. And I said, yes and no, because it's deeper than that. Uh, we actually start to go beyond the mind. You step back from the mind, you know, discover who and what you are beyond the mind, beyond thoughts. That, that's going a bit deeper. But essentially it's, you know, tried and tested techniques from people that have been doing these practices for hundreds of years on how to make your mind your best friend, you know, an ally to use the power of the mind rather than misuse it. Mm. And generally we just misuse it, which means we get sucked into every single thought it comes up with. Mm. So yeah, as a sportsman or woman, you want a clear focus. You want to be in the flow state mm. and a flow state is a high level of concentration where nothing intrudes. That is the state at which you are at your best. So sometimes you hear about performance, top performance athletes, they'll talk about, I envisage the win, I envisage, is that, when they talk about that, is that more before they're going into that flow state? It's, it's, that's maybe part of their training. Yes. A generally training, mind training as well, up to the point of, let's say, fight night, and then fight night comes, they'll, they'll, yes, they've envisaged winning up to that point, but at fight night time, it's, it's getting to the flow state. Yeah, exactly. So that, that kind of uh, pre, um, you know, training, if you like, would be using positive imagination right. or visualization, I suppose, um, which again is using your mind rather than misusing it. Um, there was a study where they asked some people <clears throat> over a period of time uh, to imagine they were lifting weights as they fell asleep for a set, okay. so maybe 10 minutes every night. Right, okay. like and you know what happened? When the study was up... Please don't tell me they're bigger guns. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I need to start doing that. Yeah. All, there was no actual weights involved. They really? imagined it. Right, now, okay. the thing is, is that your brain and my brain does not know the difference between a thought and something real, which is why a nightmare works. You have a nightmare. It's like, oh, my God, this is real. It's only when you wake up that you go, thank God, it's not real. Right. So what goes on in your head, as far as your brain is concerned, is happening. Right. Okay. Wow. So this is why we yeah, need yeah, yeah. to train that. Right. So you could Zwift at night now, man. <laughs> That's what you're thinking when you're fast asleep. You could be on Zwift, couldn't you? Training even more on your yeah. bike. 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is why they use it. This, you know, sitting on the chair right now is the most powerful thing in the universe. Yeah. It's so powerful, but misused. It's so destructive. Mm -hmm. And we yeah. all know that, that flavor of it. It can drag you down. It can keep you small. Or you can use it to literally go like above and beyond anything you thought possible. Yeah. So, so using that point around motivation and a habit, that's using then that mindset to help you create good habits, help you create good motivation. I imagine that's a, well, maybe an unbelievable tool that most people probably use a tiny bit, and some people yeah. don't use it all exactly. and use it the opposite way. Yeah, we get used by it. Yeah, you know, yeah. people we get used by all our thoughts. Um, yeah, it's the ultimate motivational tool, this mind. Um, and so you can use it before something to visualize positive imagery, see yourself doing it, etc. And people have been able to uh, kind of enable healing, broken bones, things like this, or to at least help the healing process by using their imaginative skills. Mm. You know, um, it all helps. Um, and do you work in that field? I don't necessarily mean bones, but generally people's... Obviously, my experience with you is just, I suppose, learning the basics of, of my mindfulness. But do you work in that space as well of motivate, not motivating, but help people move to a positive space from a negative space? 
I mean, generally speaking, that's why people do mindfulness. But but what they'll be experiencing generally falls into two categories, I would say. One is people that are really stuck and having a really bad time. Okay. You know, they have anxiety, depression, trauma, etc. They're in a cycle and they don't know how to get out of it. Um, and we get them out of it by training up different skills um, and winding down the ones that dominate. Um, basically because what you pay attention to grows and continues and develops. So if you have a head full of fears and worries and anxieties, as long as you're watching that movie, the movie will get bigger and brighter and more embedded. Mm. If you can take your attention off the movie and into something else, and you've, you've, you know, you've just done some of the practices we put our attention into, mm. then that starts to grow. So, um, <clears throat> so we're basically gardening. We're, we're planting new things and we're letting the old weeds, weeds basically <laughs> fade off and, and mm. die out. And if you're able to easily sum up, what type of practices are those to, to change that movie? Is it, you know, that, that cycle of... I could tell you now, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's like an exam. <laughs> so uh, basically, another way of talking about mindfulness is that it's a kind of attention training. <clears throat> because attention is how uh, your, your brain builds itself and builds your mind and builds your experience. It's all based upon what we're focusing on in every single moment. So, um, <clears throat> so most of the time we're just getting dragged into thoughts and then we, we kind of build those thoughts in. Um, in neuroscience they say that mental states become character traits because the more you pay attention to something, the more embedded it will become in your experience. Yeah, and just chat, chatting, when we were chatting, with, I mentioned we were chatting with Richard Sill and uh, he's coming at it from a sports psychology point of view, but very much similar as well of that. Uh, yeah, just, we were talking, I think, about how when you grow up and you, you're surrounding him, and you talk about your father earlier, but your surroundings so become embedded in who you are and, you know, in your, not in your genes, but, you know, in, in who you are. So I suppose it's exactly the same process isn't it yeah that's it so we, we can begin to consciously choose what we want to develop by yeah, focusing yeah. on it or not focusing on it yeah yeah, mm. yeah. so your attention is like a spotlight and whatever you light up with it it will grow and thrive and continue and you will feel like that or you can learn how to shift the spotlight into something completely different and that will grow and thrive and you will feel like that and so so <clears throat> someone's 21 that you know had certain things that put them in that position maybe they're, they're a negative of nature they're they've had bereavements and you know troubles all through that they're sat at 21 going my life's a parlor uh you believe there's that ability to retrain the brain yeah and <clears throat> i mean yeah i don't believe it no um, you know it. it's <laughs> and, and through my own experience because yeah. when i was around that age my life was a pile of right. stuff exactly right, right. Um, so one of the, the two most important things anyone can learn, and obviously this applies to sports, is how to shift gear into focus and calm. Yeah. There is no experience that we can have where being more focused and more calm simultaneously will not help, whether it's on the sports field or sipping your coffee in the morning. You can enhance every single moment of your life when you know how to um, drop into it and, and turn it into a, a kind of flow state. Okay. You can ask well, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. so bring it to sports people, kind of, I guess it's a general statement of why is every sports person not doing this then? Like, is that, is it, if it was just a case of 
this is this is the secret or the, the well, not so much secret because we're trying to um Grow, grow this but yeah. <clears throat> like, why is it not like a, uh, yeah, yeah. a you have your training you have your strength you have your skills you have your mindset you know as in that's I, yeah, what yeah, I think I, should be well, yeah, no, by I the agree. sounds it should be happening but in a you know it's not something that I would say from my personal experience or anything like that that it, it, it's it's not at the, radar, the forefront or, or yeah, yeah at least on the radar so mm-hmm. it's kind of if it is seen as such a big thing what, why is everyone not doing it is that again the western sort of belief or side to it is that it's just kind of in the background and yeah it, it might help it might not we're, we're not too sure you know i think we're still getting there yeah. i mean with big business it's everywhere so google deutsche bank i mean the biggest companies in the world and um, you know run mindfulness training and, and the ceos lead the training so they're completely on board with it <clears throat> it is there in sports i mean you mentioned basketball um, so Kobe Bryant, who, I mean, I'm not any kind of expert at all, but I know of him because his trainer got him and his team to do mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Kobe Bryant was pretty good anyway. And through the training, he says he now plays effortless basketball, which is something you'd think Bruce Lee would say. It's a mm-hmm. kind of effortless thing. But that's because he's not just playing in a flow state. It pours over into your everyday life. So you live as you feel yourself to be on the sports field. You live in that kind of effortless flow where you're focused and calm. You're not getting pulled into things. You're not exploding mm. into drama. Everything is fairly steady. And you know that you have access to a kind of reservoir of stillness and calm should you need it. But we are still catching up. Mm. I, know some, uh, I know some friends teach the Adidas runners. So actually, we just did See Here Feel. That was the last practice we've, we've yeah. just done. So they teach the Adidas runners in, in various cities all over the place, see, hear, feel, which is what I use when I run. So, I mean, I just run for, for fun. But, I mean, running is meditation to me. I'm not just running, listening to music. I, 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 I say I run naked, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, well, you are now, I've got my clothes on. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> like, like we all are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In this sauna. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll try quickly. Yeah, now, I yeah. imagine, going back to Matty's question around, like, certainly a cyclist over the number of years we've been brought up around the sky of marginal gains where they've looked at every bit of the sport and tried to improve it and... I guess this is an area, I don't know whether Sky necessarily or Ineos is there now, do that, but that's just an area that yeah, need, perhaps more people need to develop, which is ultimately why we wanted you in this room, was to talk about that, mm. that again, a, a marginal gain that people can get, irrespective of how it can affect just their personal headspace, work environment, family life and those things. And, and usually it's done as uh, the kind of other way around, like people practice it because mm. they want to have a more enhanced, focused, present experience of being alive. But the nice thing there is it will bleed into every single thing you do, mm-hmm. being with your kids, on the bike, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a very famous uh, book, um, I think it was written in the, maybe in the 1930s, maybe earlier, a German guy that went to study Zen in Japan, Eugene Herigl, and it's called Zen and the Art of Archery. And it's basically on um, how Zen or mindfulness, focus, concentration, power applies to the art of archery. But then mm-hmm. you can just okay. apply that to mm-hmm. anything, any sport. There's Zen in the art of basketball, Zen in the art of cycling. I mean, Zen in the art of golf is a thing. You mm-hmm. look at the in the sports mm-hmm. section, how many books are on 
um, mindfulness for golf, Zen in the art of golf, yeah. where you 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 drop into that effortless play, yeah, yeah, yeah. where all the fear and the worry and the doubt is just not there. There's just this clear, focused mind. Interesting. Uh, so, quick question around uh, those: is the is the studies out to show the the effectiveness of it? People tracking brain waves, I guess, ultimately and and showing that, that improvement and those changes in the brainwaves, perhaps karma brainwaves or however those types mm. of things are registered <coughs> or recorded, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's about 40 years worth of neuroscience right. uh, research on people that practice mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, there's even research on, I mean, traditionally the, I would say the goal, but the, the eventual uh, destination of practice is what you would call enlightenment or awakening. And we might think they're just kind of mythical things, but... They're, they're, they're uh, more like states of mind that become normal or common rather than kind of busy, frantic, uh, you know, dramatic um, states of mind. Your new normal just becomes this very clear sense of being in the moment that lacks that self-narrative. You know, I have to do this, then I have to do this, and then, oh my God, my past, oh my God. That just doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So I remember, I mean... I remember living in my head and I remember living in the stories in my head and being basically dominated by the voice in my head. I think we all do to some mm. extent, some degree, don't we? Mm. Well, I don't yeah. have that now. Yeah. And the only reason I don't Show have us. it... Well, I just say that just so people <laughs> yeah, know that yeah. it's you possible mm. for that narration just to basically die out. Mm. You don't have to live with it anymore. Mm. Um, and that's just very practical as a person because it made my life miserable. And now I'm not miserable, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, just Google mindfulness. I mean, the, the research is still coming in yeah. because it's kind of new, even though we've been doing it for, studying it for about 40 years or so. Um, but then you get the Olympic level mm. meditators. Mm. So people at the sort of Dalai Lama level right. where, you know, the things they can do with their brains, we, we didn't know you could do that. So if you think about mindfulness as a kind of ability to shift gears. So we live most of our lives in kind of first gear. That's thinking. That's a tough gear to drive around in if you think there's only that gear. Then you know how it feels when you shift to second gear. The car kind of thanks you for it. It goes, ah, everything's a bit smoother. Third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear. I mean, I'm no expert on cars, but I'm sure there's more, depending on what vehicle you drive. There's an infinite number of gears we can shift into if we're shown how. And so what we're discovering is that the brain is just this, the capacity is just endless, you know. Mm. Um, so let's mm-hmm. do it uh, and then the crazy thing is is that we don't mm-hmm. and we just stay trapped and locked into these kind of self-defeating limiting states of mind that we take to be normal and ordinary well it doesn't have to be train it down train up something new yeah like motivation mm-hmm. being or yeah a good habit or, that's it know, it's kind of habit training yeah, right. wind down the habits that don't make sense anymore and develop the habits that shift you into this kind of optimum state of mind yeah Still, a lot of stuff I've watched on YouTube about ha- yeah habit and just we've all got bad habits that's some, some you know but it's just cr- getting trying to get rid of those ones and replace them with a good habit whatever that might be yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the first step is just to <coughs> notice is just to yeah. notice your habits I mean that's what we do in- <laughs> that's half the battle probably more than half the battle isn't it well, once you've noticed it its days are numbered but until you notice it it just lives in plain sight and somehow we don't see it this is why you know, in some of the mindfulness practices um, that we do, I mean, we didn't do the one I'm thinking of, but it's about um, 
kind of self-appraisal and noticing where we've made mistakes in the day. So you would jot down, I made a mistake here and I made a mistake there. And that's really crucial because we don't do that. We know we are our own blind spots. Mm. And when someone points something out, we will go, no, I don't. You do that. That's mm. not me, that's you. Now, we're, we're experts. I mean, look at Donald Trump. We are experts at that. We yeah. just, it bounces off. Mm. Until we can let something in, we're not going to change anything. Until you see it, you can't change it. Mm. So really, most of mindfulness is just noticing Noticing we have a head full of thoughts, noticing all the stress we carry in the body, noticing the themes that we think about. That's it. Notice it. Mm. As soon as you've noticed it, now you have a choice. Do I follow it or do I change direction? Mm. Mm. So to circle back then to your Matty's applause on that. When you're saying that, I'm just thinking about applying to myself of the races you do, the things you do, when mm. you, as soon as yeah. you finish thinking, I should have done that. I should have done this, and you replay a sprint or a, or a moment over your times, and you you just think, and you get to, yeah, you get caught in that. As you say the spiral of our, you know, you concentrate on that rather than something else you may have done actually well or yeah. where you were before that moment and or after. It's just you can get hung up on the bad things that you you always think about, and straight away when you've said that, I go straight into my head of I've done something, I've done something silly or a mistake or a failure in that sense before, and. It's not what should be coming back to me in the first first thought, which you yeah, said, yeah. is is imprint is gets imprinted in, in a lot of people. Yeah. So you mentioned something like that, and it gets imprinted in most can, people. Well, they say the brain has a negativity bias, so it tends to dwell on the mm. stuff that's gone wrong, which is fine. But we, as soon as you notice that next time, you can shift gear. As soon as you catch yourself in that, you go, God, yeah, I'm doing it now. You could focus on breath. You could, I mean, that's what we do, we were doing mindfulness. We'd focus your attention into the feeling of breath in your body, for instance, mm. um, which takes you out of that rumination and then the rumination just falls away. So there's, there's things we can do to consciously catch ourselves doing the bad things and then go, right, well, I'm going to stop that by taking my attention away from it. And then that naturally just dies off by itself. So that first good habit everyone needs to do is 10 minutes a day, Google mindfulness and start teaching yourself. Mm. Yeah, well, 10 minutes a day, we know within, you know, six to eight weeks of a daily practice, um, I mean, your brain is like a muscle, you know, it's plastic in the sense that you can train it. And well, you can train it with the bad habits, so flip it around. Flip it around, yeah, yeah start training up the good. Yeah. Um, and within, you know, six to eight weeks, if you were to have an MRI scan, you'd see the brain right. f physically or physiologically starting to make those changes. Mm. And if, if I may um, use a, a real life example, actually, and shockingly, it is Zwift. Um, <laughs> earlier tonight, um, I was doing a race and all day I've been thinking about how tired I was even leading up to the race. So I get on the bike. First thing I'm thinking of is that I'm tired. The course profile is flat, ends up a hill. So every little kick that's going on, I'm in my own head thinking that, oh, my legs aren't responding how I want to. I'm, I, I'm not feeling good tonight. I'm trying to give some validity to the fact that if I don't do well, there's a reason behind it. I all I was doing was kind of in my head thinking that when we get to this final part, that I'm not going to do well, I've got a reason. And all those sort of bad thoughts were replaying in my mind and everything I was doing was thinking about the future and what may happen rather than concentrating on actually how my body feels at that moment, which probably was actually, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling okay don't think about everything else that may or may not happen just similar to what would be in that moment and 
what will happen, what will happen. Um, and yeah, I think that that's, um, well, I guess that's what the training ultimately helps get away those, not bad thoughts, yeah, but those and negative thoughts and either removes them completely, I guess, or brings in positive ones. Yeah, and especially, you know, if, if I would have, which is why, you know, um, we're here talking is to, to educate, especially myself, about no much prior of if I'd have known some techniques, if I'd have been able to think a lot more clearly about everything, then the results, well, I did, did okay, I'll just say, I did okay, I got third, but, yeah, you know, yeah, I, always want, I always want the yeah, win. Yeah, yeah. Then those results or that mindset, that ability to say, okay, I did, I did that, it's happened, because instead, I'm sat here talking about it four hours later rather than <laughs> yeah. not, not worrying about it, oh, tomorrow's a new day, let's, mm -hmm. let's see what happens in the next one. Yeah, and then so uh, as you said, you know, the, the, the training would in advance, you know, prepare you to kind of be more focused and less likely to get pulled into that kind of negative narrative. When the negative narrative strikes, you'll be more aware of it, so you'd catch it happening and maybe do something different, mm -hmm. you know. So you can't stop it coming up, it's just part of it's a habit. So it's not like that shouldn't happen. It does happen. Just catch yourself in it and change direction. And then the other thing the practice will do is enhance your performance whilst you're doing it. So it will enhance the flow state. So when you're really focused on, on the bike or, you know, if I go running or something, when I'm using a, a technique, when I'm basically meditating, the f you have had moments where the flow state is so enhanced, it's, you feel superhuman. You feel, you feel like you're about to explode in a positive way. Um, it's kind of... It's quite interesting. I'm, I'm, a, mm. I'm a drummer. I was going to say I'm a, a musician, but, mm. <laughs> but I'm a drummer. That's a bit different. But, uh, Used to do a bit myself. <laughs> oh, good, yeah. Well, I, I, so this is years ago when I was in my late teens, but I was practicing. And I used to meditate before I went to the rehearsal room just to kind of get the most out of the session, you know, clear my mind. And, and I sat there once and I was playing a, a song that I was, I was learning. And... Um, just after meditating and all of a sudden something happened and what happened was that I was playing it uh, perfectly you know it was kind of straight there but I wasn't playing I looked at my hands and they were doing what they should my feet were doing what they should it was all moving but it was as if I was not doing that and for about three seconds it was incredible because I was like oh my god this is just effortless I'm not even doing this. And then I freaked out and went, oh my God. <laughs> and, I, and I fell out of the flow state. But that's deep flow. You know, when you just know where the ball, you know, you know, you know automatically where the ball's going to bounce mm. or you know you were just there on time or you did the right thing. That's the flow state. In martial arts, they have it. You know, you don't think about it, you just act. Yeah. And there's a kind of um, effortlessness in the, in the acting. Um, yeah, so it would enhance your ability to stay on that bike mm. and just drop into the flow state, as you said, be in your body more and just meet whatever happens as it happens. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I suppose you mentioned obviously about going to uh, study. You're on an evolution of learning, I'm sure. Started probably with your dad and you sat around trying to do butter and not really understand what's going <laughs> on. Uh, is that did that then in your late and we're obviously circling back a little bit here, but in your late in your late teens then was that something you were then, no pun intended, focused on? This is where I want to 
where was where was kind of point in your own life that you decided to go yeah this is I want to or was it just I just continue to develop and what you do today is just a natural fallout of your continued learning yeah I mean yeah definitely but uh, there, there was a kind of goal as a child which was that you know I saw certainly for my dad that the the goal um, of his life anyway was literally enlightenment which right. is the traditional goal of, of Buddhism because you know the Buddha was enlightened and then shared how to get enlightened and so if you practice that you're kind of moving in that direction so that, that was quite terrifying for a child because I was like okay so there exists out there something that maybe we call it truth or reality or you know uh, and it's my job to find out what that is mm. but I, I, I was that was a serious thing. To, to yeah. a layman, that, uh, and you would have asked me that two years ago, I'd have been just, I'd have, you know, just, I don't know, you'd sound, you'd sound bonkers is probably the, the honest answer. Well, <laughs> might uh, be bonkers. Well, maybe, or maybe we are, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how the, the perceptions change and you, you know, my own views of that situation, and having done just a tiny little bit of it and, maybe just starting to feel like the door's cracking open and there's there's light there going. You know, maybe there is something to this hippie stuff that we well, would have called it three or four years ago. Yeah, and that's what all my friends called me as yeah, teenagers. Yeah. I, was, I was the hippie. Um, so so then, you know, that was why I studied the religious traditions all aimed at this kind of... Um, uh, but with no direction, it was just learning. What can I learn? What culture? And just see how I develop as an individual. How do I get that? Like, how do I get enlightened? Basically, yeah. that was my, if I'm honest, that was my goal. To the extent where all the lectures I attended at university, I was ready to hear the magic words from one of the lecturers or hear some kind of ancient saying and then close my book and leave. Oh, like, okay. literally go, because I'm not here for a degree. I'm here to, for that drop of wisdom mm. to actually click. Uh, and, you know, there were lots of little clicks, but nothing major. And even traveling in India and meeting gurus and teachers, again, there were, there were moments, there were shifts, there were insights. But the biggest one was actually when I had this breakdown when I was 29. And there was a major shift then. Um, and since then, I must say that I'm no longer looking for anything. I'm no longer seeking anything. I no, I no longer get the sense that there's a lack here that I need to fill up. That's kind of, thankfully, that's just gone. Um, and it's 10 years later, but I'm still very interested in exploring mm. because every single moment is literally brand new. So the thing about being in the present moment is you can't get bored, you know, because it's brand new now and now and now. And all the people I kind of look up to, all the, the ancient Zen masters, they, they live to the you know, grand old ages, 100, 110 and you think, well, why are they still practicing at 110? Because this never stops They're being new. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You haven't had the next insight yet. Yeah. You know, so that keeps me kind of learning and being interested and still practicing. You that, know, that's what fascinates me uh, more and more recently. We were chatting to a gentleman a few weeks ago, George, and he's only 22, but self-developing in, in different ways. But but very much on a on a every day's a school day almost mentality. Uh, just le learning awareness and a new technique. So, which maybe brings me on to we've touched uh, outside of the podcast on uh, Wim Hof, uh, and I suppose again you exploring new experiences, and that's something again for those people out there. Again, Google who Wim Hof is, but that's an experience you've explored as well. 
How did yeah, you find I mean, not lots. And I tried to take the cold showers. And mm. in the summer, I was as part of my run, I'd go and get in the Groudle River. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because, you know, traditionally, um, we've, as a, as a species, we've, we've been in the cold. And if you look, say, in Zen or these other, you know, traditions like, you know, Shaolin monks and all this kind of cool stuff, well, they would go and meditate under freezing waterfalls. You know, the Tibetan monks would, would meditate in the snow and generate enough heat that they would melt the snow around them. Wow. I think it's called the inner fire. So this is this kind of um, lost knowledge, you know. Yeah, um, we, we, we've known it for hundreds of thousands of years, but we've just kind of forgotten it and we're not being taught mm. it. So it's not on our radar then. What's on the radar is X Factor, uh, donuts, and you know the nine to five job, and I mean and that's fine, but that's literally that's just the very very surface of who and what you are. Mm-hmm. So um, Ian Kirk, who is a friend of mine, and he's the an official Wim Hof instructor. He's friends with Wim, so he was holding a workshop. So I went to explore being in the cold actually as a way to test my mindfulness because mm-hmm. I hate the cold. I mean, who wants to be cold? I'm cold anyway. Anytime I shake someone's hand, they say, oh my God, you're cold. <laughs> so the idea of going into cold water on purpose was like, my mind was like, why the hell would you do that? But I wanted to see if I could bring in my mindfulness to help me do it. And so it's actually quite addictive, you know, going into the cold. And uh, I'm still kind of playing around with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just doing what people have done forever. Yeah. I've tried a little bit more just the cold showers and... Uh, again it's a lot of it's about the mind and being able to get like anything you know you step into a cold shower it's the last you know your body your whole mind's going don't step forward don't step forward don't step um, forward <laughs> from again someone who doesn't really know um, that background why are you going into freezing cold water are you t- are you trying to tell your mind uh, to, is that again to be in I'm, like what, you, what are you yeah. trying to change in your mindset at that moment is that the fear of you know it's going to be cold and don't go into it or is it going into it and blocking out the fact, oh my God, this is freezing cold. <laughs> like It's actually, well, that's the, part of it is, is just, you know, um, going past the mind that says, don't do it. It's cold. You do it anyway, feel the fear and do it anyway, if you like. But I think certainly the way Ian talks about it, the effects, the, the positive physiological effects, mm. cold and ice cold water has on your system for, for a few minutes anyway, mm. is, is, um, you know, there's, there's huge benefits to it. Boosted immune system, yes. more brown fat, the health yeah, benefits. Yeah. It's better than an espresso, apparently. And I, I, like once you come out of a cold shower or a river, you're, you're so focused. And whilst you're in the cold, it's hard to think about anything. Mm. So you drop into that natural, clear mind state. And then the key is, because you said, what do you block it out? And this is the key word with, with mindfulness and meditation, and I work with people with you know, chronic pain and things like that. The key is always relax, yeah. relax, relax into the pain, relax into the cold. Mm. Don't tense up around it, relax into it. Then there's no problem. Yeah. I know uh, I've seen a Got Wim Hof's book that I need to really finish. Uh, he talks techniques, how to how to regulate your body temperature. And uh, I mean, he climbs mountains that are covered in snow and underpants. Uh, he's he's a character and a half, he isn't is, he? Yeah. For sure, he's a character and a half. Uh, well, thank you. That I think I think certainly know. Matty found that informative. No, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. that's why I wanted you to come in, Mike, to, to chat uh, and hopefully uh, spread the word of mi- word of mindfulness. 
Uh, people want to reach out to you. How do they do that? Uh, you, you can just find me on Facebook. Uh, there's a Mike Hewley Mindfulness Group on Facebook. You can join, and I'm always posting videos and articles and things like that. Um, or you can find out more through my website, which is MikeHewley.com. Okay. Obviously, if you want to go on his courses, like I say, I've been on one, and I can certainly highly recommend that. I'm sure I'll be finding another in due course. Uh, also, just as a, 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 a bonus episode, really, for people, Mike, te- Mike teaches techniques, uh, various various techniques, and one of them for, for mindfulness, and one of them we'll add on as a bonus episode. It's around 10 minutes long, just just walks through sort of some breathing exercises that you, you can do, you know, ideally in the morning, I think, is the best time. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's a great way to start the day because then you're starting with that, that mindset that's already calm and focused. But just play with it wherever you can fit it in and just have a go and see how it makes you feel as you do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Thanks again, Mike. Yeah, thank you. And Matt, just to yep, finish yeah, off. Yep, usual housekeeping. So um, wherever you're listening, be that Spotify, SoundCloud, Podcast or other, please like, subscribe, share and give us those five-star reviews to help boost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um Facebook, we are the M Word Podcast. Twitter, our handle is Manx Sport Pod, and Instagram, we are the M Word IOM. Uh, again, just wanted to reiterate: if you know anyone, or if you are someone who wants to come in and sit down and chat with us, please get in touch because we'd be more than welcome yeah, to, to speak to you. Uh, so, thank you very much. Thanks for, again for letting us get into your ears. It's word out from Martin and word out from Matt.